Life is messy. Life is chaotic. Life is sometimes just flat out depressing. Life sometimes appears to be hopeless. And that is not just true on an individual basis. It's true sometimes in the church. Sometimes it's true as we turn on the news, obviously, and see what's happening in our country. We just say, this is a mess. Is there any hope? Is there any perspective that we can have that will gain clarity? And that is why I decided to do this series on hope, because I feel like all of us need hope, myself included. We need to move from where we feel anxiety to anticipation of what the Lord is wanting to do in our lives, in our marriage, in our church, in our school, in our community, in our country, and in our world, because God's got a kingdom that he is building. But because life is messy, sometimes we feel like we are in a dark room or we're in a black hole. Um, I've heard my wife, Michelle, she's talked about this. And, and when things are difficult, that dark room or that black hole just seems to be so overwhelming. And is there light? And can God open the door and provide a light so that we can see? And personally, we've been through some dark days. A lot of times it is, has evolved around um, death and disappointment and setbacks and thinking God was going to come through and then he didn't come through and how we deal with that. And that's sometimes for all of us, it's just a black hole. And can I get out? Is there light? And am I able to see clearly? And so I decided that this series on hope was so important and I'm very excited to be able to share to you with you today this passage in Jeremiah 29. But I do have an apology. I started the series and we've talked about how our hope is based upon our fruitfulness. And so if we're fruitful, we're going to be hopeful. And I also shared last Sunday how if there's anxiety in our lives of uncertainty, opposition, persecution, or maybe the Holy Spirit shows up and scares us, what do we do with that and that we need to pray? But what I realized is I really haven't given you a definition yet of hope. And so today I want to start off with a definition of hope and then explain what Jeremiah is trying to teach us. Hope is the joyful expectation and confidence about tomorrow. Hope is the joyful expectation and confidence about tomorrow. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of how many of us are there, but this is what hope is. And I know that for some of us, when I say life is messy and scary and chaotic, and we're like, yeah, yeah, I get that, but we also say, Mark, we're believers, and we do have a little bit of hope, and hope is on our side, and hope is on our side as a church and as Christians and Christ followers, yet sometimes we're not there with that joyful expectation and confidence that tomorrow is actually going to be better, that God is at work in our future and in our hope. And how do we deal with that? Well, I think for some of us, what has happened is we've bought into a false hope. A false hope about 
what we know, what we do, and what we have. Well, let me explain. In, in Jeremiah, where we're going to look in a little bit, Jeremiah in chapter 9, he says, if you're going to boast about something, and the Lord is speaking, he's saying, if you're going to be bragging about something, if you're going to be saying, hey, I look good, or life is good, it, it, it's not about what you know. It's not about your wisdom. And it, it's not about your, your great worth, work ethic, or your strength, or how much determination you have. You're not going to be bragging about your riches and how much money you have. And if you just have enough, then life is going to be good. No, if you're going to brag about something, it's totally radically different. But the reason I wanted to start with this slide is because for so many of us, we are putting our hope in all the wrong places. And that gets confusing because we think this is biblical truth. Doesn't the Bible say we should be wise? Doesn't the Bible say we should have knowledge? Doesn't the Bible say we should strategize? Doesn't the Bible say we should have a vision? Doesn't the Bible say we should have a plan? Yes, it does. But it says something radically more before that. And, and it's not just about our strength. You know, many of us think, well, God's going to help me because I'm helping myself. I know my parents told me God only helps those who help themselves. That God wants you to work. God wants you to serve. God wants you to do stuff. You need to have, again, this good work ethic. And in the church, you have to have a good godly work ethic. And you work for the glory of God. And, and, and that's all true. And for many of us living in this world of consumerism and money and materialism, we, we, we've, we bought into the lie that if our bank account, our retirement part, portfolio, if we just have enough, if we can just get out of the credit card debt, or if we can just have this item or this home, or, then, then we will have hope. But here's what the Lord says about it. He says, no, 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 no. If you're going to be bragging, if you're going to be hopeful, true hope is in knowing the Lord. True hope is in knowing the Lord. It's not about what we know, what we do, and what we have. We need to stop relying on that and start relying on the Lord. It's about having a relationship with the Lord and ultimately it's about our hearts and our hearts being transformed and trusting God and knowing God and loving God and having a relationship with God. That is what true hope is and we're going to see it clearly in just a second as we unravel this verse. Hope is based upon our fruitfulness. And our fruitfulness is based upon our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what John 15 is all about. That's why I started there. Because our relationship with Jesus Christ and with God as the gardener or the, the vine dresser and our relationship with him pruning us and helping us to grow and be more fruitful, that, that's where hope is. And hope is found in our prayer life. And, and that's what Jeremiah is communicating in chapter 9. We boast because we have a relationship with the Lord and we know him and follow him. So today we want to look at this verse 
which is a great verse. And can we just all read it out loud together? Do it with me. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for your good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Everybody heard of that verse before? Does everybody love that verse? Isn't that so encouraging and powerful? For I know the plans I have for you. For your good. Some translation says to prosper you, to give you peace, to encourage you. God, God is on our side. And if God is for us, Paul says, who can be against us? And God has a future and a hope for us. But what we need to understand is that this verse, which is often taken out of context, this great verse that we love, that we memorize, that we quote, that we put on signs, that hangs in our bedroom or on our mirror, this great verse appears in a bad chapter. In fact, this great verse appears in a bad book. I don't know if we know it or not, but Jeremiah, do you know what his nickname is? Jeremiah's nickname was the Weeping Prophet. Jeremiah also wrote a book called Lamentations because he was weeping and lamenting and he was grieving. Because in Jeremiah chapter 1, God calls him to go to his own people who were going to reject him. They were going to mock him. They were going to hate him. They weren't going to listen to him. They were going to ignore him. They weren't going to listen to God's advice. And Jeremiah had to go to this rebellious people. We need to see the context. If you have your Bibles, just open them up right now. And if not, just sort of meditate on that verse as I read it to you. Jeremiah 29. Notice what he says in Jeremiah. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem. Notice this, to the surviving elders, to the leaders. It says, of the exiles, and to the priests, and the prophets, and all the people. You see, when the Lord speaks, and when he speaks to his prophet, he usually speaks to the leadership first. Because the people cannot rise above the leadership. And if the leaders are not hopeful and the leaders don't have a relationship with God, we're in trouble. And if the leaders don't know the promises of God and the declarations of God, we're in trouble. And that's where the Israelites were at. They were in trouble because they didn't have any true prophets who knew the word of God and could teach the true word of God. Notice what it says. They were a people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. You, you talk about persecution. He had some of the, the most vile persecution methods known to mankind at that time. Then notice, let's pick it up in verse 3. And then it says, This letter was sent by the hand of Elisha, the son of Shaphan, and Gemara, the son of Hilkai, and Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. It said this, thus says the Lord of hosts. Literally, the general of the army says this. The God who is the God of God says this to all of Israel. Notice what he says. 
I had sent you into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And it gets very confusing because we know that at other places it says that Nebuchadnezzar sent the Israelites into to exile and in captivity. See, we don't always know what the Lord is up to. And the Lord is clearly using Nebuchadnezzar. He's using Babylon to teach his people something. Notice what he says. He says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons. And give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. And multiply there. And do not decrease. Literally, he's given the same commands he gave in Genesis. He's just saying, you're going to do it in a new place. You're going to do it in a new world. You're going to do it in a new culture. God always wants us to be faithful to what he has asked us to do. And God has always asked us to be productive, to raise godly families, to create a generation that makes a difference. But notice this, what he says. He says, but seek the welfare of the city where I sent you into exile. What? I'd be saying, wait, whoa, 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 time out. We're in captivity. We're suffering. We're going through a very hard time. And you want us to seek their best interest? You want us to look after them? And the Lord's saying yes. And it says, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Then there's a warning here. He says, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says this. Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie. They are prophesying to you in the name I did not send them, declares the Lord. Verse 10 says, for the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. A great verse in a very troubling and messy and chaotic and a captive situation. They need to move from just thinking about surviving. They need to think about thriving in a bad situation. Now, some of you may be saying to yourself, Mark, this is good, but uh, if you only knew my story. And I want to tell you just a little bit as we proceed through this, hope in Christ does so many things. You see, even if we have a dark past, what this passage is saying is we have a bright future. You may say, Mark, if you just knew about my sin, um, my, Mike was sharing about people scared to come to church because, you know, thunder and lightning is going to come down if they step into this past. You say, Mark, if you just knew my past, I got a very dark past. I got secrets. I got secrets that even my wife and my children and my grandchildren don't know. This isn't applying to me, is it? Yes, in Christ, there is hope. It doesn't matter what our past is. We have a bright future in store of us. But then you may say, well, Mark, it's not my past. It's my present. In the face 
of a chaotic present and when your certain situation is not the way you had hoped for. Guess what? Your future is clearly defined. Notice again what this passage says. It says, for I know the plans I have for you. For your good, for your peace, so that you will prosper, for your welfare. So God is looking out for you, and it is clearly defined. Here's the catch, though. The clearly defined is with the Lord. And in order to know the plans that the Lord has for you, you need to get to know the Lord. So there is hope, and there is hope in Christ. I want to go back to verse 8 and 9 here, and I want to talk about false prophets. You see, in the context of Jeremiah, if you go back and read Jeremiah 28, you'll notice that uh, there was another prophet, and he was telling the Israelite lies. In, In fact, If you got your Bible open, turn to Jeremiah 28 here. And notice what I say. Just because somebody, a pastor like myself or another leader or somebody you see on TV or a book you read, just because they say it's in the Lord's name does not mean that it's true. Just because somebody says, well, God told me or God said or thus saith the Lord we need to understand that that still could be a false narrative. That could be still a false prophet. Jeremiah 28, verse 2. Again, notice how Hananiah is handling this, and this is one of the prophets that was false in in, in Jeremiah's day. Notice verse 2. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. It's not true. It's a false hope. And so what Jeremiah and what the Lord is saying to us, we need to be able to discern and to hear God's voice clearly. Here's a second example. Just because it confirms my desires. Notice what he says. Within two years, I will bring you back to this place. I will bring back to the place all the vessels of the Lord's house. Within two years, everything's going to be restored. You know what the truth was? It was 70 years. And and what I learned from this is just because we hear something, someone say, and it, it suits our desires, it suits our expectations, it doesn't mean that that is true hope. It still may be in the category of false hope. And you may be already, there may be tons of questions running through your mind. Well, well, how am I supposed to know then? Well, let's keep going with this. Here's the third area. Just because it makes me feel good. Notice in verse 6, even the prophet Jeremiah, when he hears this word, he says, Amen. May the Lord do so. May the Lord make your words come true. When somebody says something and it just makes us feel good, It doesn't mean that that is true hope. That actually may be false hope. 
Because God's plan for Israel was to send them into spiritual timeout for 70 years. And if you haven't caught the ramification for this yet, the people hearing this promise in Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 will in all likelihood be dead. They probably won't even be in existence anymore. That's why God tells them, be faithful and build a generation of people because I still have plans that are in the future. And here's the last Just because someone promises you deliverance. In Jeremiah 28, verse 4, he says, The Lord will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. And they go through this vivid word picture, and he takes Jeremiah's wooden yoke, and he busts it, and, and God says, Well, that's just not true. I'm actually going to put an iron yoke, a heavy yoke, on you. Because you have disobeyed me. You haven't followed me. You haven't gone with me. So this is what I love about Jeremiah 29. It's a great verse. And as you can see, hopefully it's in a bad chapter. But we need to be careful. As believers, we need to be discerning. And we need to be actually listening and taking in the words that we hear. And the people we talk to. And we say... Is this from the Lord or not? Let's look at this here real quick. Notice what he says. He says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. The Lord has plans for our life. That means we have a purpose, we have a destiny. God created us as Christians to be his workmanship. We were made for more. God has a plan. Now, we need to clearly see, he doesn't say that he's going to always reveal this plan to us. He's saying he has a plan, and we need to trust him, we need to love him, and we're going to see, we're going to have to seek him. So this verse is often taken out of context. Here's what we need to know. This is a promise to the nation of Israel. God isn't promising this to us. He promised it to the nation of Israel. But here's what we need to understand. There is a teaching principle here. I'm saying we all need to know Jeremiah 29, 11, and we need to understand the principles tied to this verse. And I came up with three basic ones. First of all, the Lord has a plan. The Lord has a plan for your life. This means you have a purpose, you have a calling. You say, Mark, 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 no, 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 I don't. Yes, you do. If you're still sitting here today and you are living and breathing, here's the truth. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Otherwise, you would no longer be living anymore. And this gives me great hope and encouragement, and it should give you great hope and encouragement as well. God not only has a plan for me individually, but guess what? God has a plan for all of us collectively as a church body. 
God isn't up there scratching his head and saying, oh, this transition with Harrisonville Community Church, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I hope they get lucky. I hope that something works out, but maybe I can work some magic and make it all happen, but um, I doubt it. So I just hope it happens. No, God has a plan. But notice this, God not only has a plan, he says he has a future. You see, there's different ways to look at this because the way the translation uses this word, it uses a future and a hope. So maybe it's saying a hopeful future or a future that has hope tied to it or a hope that is based upon the future. God is working in our lives in such a way that our present circumstances don't bother him. They bother us, but our present circumstances, our past history doesn't bother God. He's got a future in store, and we need to go after that. That's why in Jeremiah, he tells the people, build homes, start families, Seek the welfare of the city. And God will reveal this as we move forward. God will show you what is to happen. And here's the last, and I believe it's very important for us to see this. It's not that we now just uh, close our Bibles and go home and say, yeah, I hope God's plan works out. I have a role that I play. Notice in verse 12, he says, then you will call upon me, And come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Here's the first thing that I want us to understand We need to come and call. We need to come and we need to call upon the Lord. You see, hope is found in a relationship with the Lord. You know, back in the days of the Israelites, they they didn't know anything about Jesus Christ. They didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. And we as Christians, we not only have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a relationship with this Holy Spirit, and we have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. So this verse is even more powerful to us. We need to come and we need to call upon the Lord. That literally means that our hope is based upon a relationship with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. That means that God wants to talk to us and God wants us to listen to us. But if we're too busy strategizing, manipulating, trying to control the situation, if we're just too busy with life and the success of our kids and our grandkids and and vacations and all these sort of things, if we're just moving so fast, and I think God's just up there and he's looking at us and probably as a heavenly father, he's probably not shaking his head, but he's just saying, come to me. Come and talk to me. Share your problems. Share your concerns. Share what you love. Share what you're hoping for. Share your desires. Share your dreams. But make sure you're not just doing all the talking. God is saying, listen. Listen to my voice. 
Listen to what I'm trying to communicate. Listen to what I'm trying to say. Hope is found in a relationship. Here's the second thing. We need to seek and find. And if you read the rest of Jeremiah 29 and 30 and 31 and 32, you will notice something. That hope is found in God's grace and God's rest. The future and the plans that God has for you is for you to experience more of his grace and more of his love. Let me give you an example. Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31. This also may be a favorite of yours. Um, Jeremiah 31 verse 2 says this. Thus says the Lord. 31 verse 2. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. <laughs> One of my favorites. They found grace in the wilderness. When the Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from afar away. And notice this. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I continued my faithfulness to you. Some of the great hymns that we sing. We sang one of them this morning, How Great Thou Art, but great is thy faithfulness, blessed assurance. All these great hymns of our faith, they're speaking about how much God's grace is available to us and how much he loves us with an everlasting love. That, that just creates hope and excitement and anticipation in my life, knowing that God loves me beyond a shadow of a doubt. And that his grace is so rich and so full for me to eat from. But notice his rest as well. Jeremiah 31. And see if this sounds familiar to you. In Jeremiah 31 verse 24. And he says, And Judah and all the cities shall dwell there together. And the farmers and those who wandered with their flocks. Verse 25 says, For I will satisfy the weary soul. In every language soul, I will replenish. God is saying that he will replenish our souls. He will bring nourishment when we come to him, when we seek him, and we will be found by him. Sounds a little bit like Jesus. In fact, most people think he was quoting this when he says, come to me. All you who are heavy laden and have burdens, come to me. Take my yoke. Does it make sense now? Not the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar. Not the yoke of Jeremiah. Not the false yoke of Hananiah. Not the yoke of God's judgment, but the yoke of Jesus Christ. Take my yoke and learn from me. And I will give you. My friends, hope is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. But hope is also when we experience God's grace and his rest.